this is Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone looking forward to the best, the best potluck and cookout in the Twin Cities, and maybe even <laughs> more than the Twin Cities, um, which is on Thursday, July 27th um, at the Land Stewardship Project. And to talk about this event, as well as all things Land Stewardship Project, is the new executive director, Scott Elkins. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you, Laura. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, you're on your first month? I am. Just wrapping up the first month. Lots of conversations, lots of learning. I'm having a great time. Cool. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your personal background. Yeah, sure. So uh, I come, I'm a native Texan, uh, many generations back there. Um, come from a cattle ranching family on my mother's side, and my parents did some ranching as well, although I personally grew up in the suburbs. And uh, moved up to Minnesota back in 1990, fell in love with the place and the people up here and have been loving it ever since. 1990. And then um, work, uh, work-wise, work um, you worked for a long time with the Sierra Club. Yeah, my background is really grassroots organizing and connecting with people and finding ways to engage and empower people with their ability to make change in the world is where my real love is. And I did that in a number of different progressive organizations, including a stint with the Land Stewardship Project in the late 90s. Uh, and then from 2000 up until a couple of years ago, I've been with Sierra Club in a variety of roles. Yeah, so you're returning to the Land Stewardship Project because you were there in the late 90s. I am, and it's really fun to see both the way that the culture has sustained itself and also developed and grown over since the time I was gone. So um, most of our listeners might be familiar, but just tell us a little bit about what is the Land Stewardship Project, and what does it do, and why did it get started? Yeah, Land Stewardship Project got started in 1982, and it was really in response to the farm crisis at the time. And it was a project that involved both Catholic charities and the Farmers Union coming together and trying to come up with an initiative that would reach out to farm families where they're at, help them manage the immediate crisis. And over time, has evolved into an organization that continues to really center the needs and the interests of the small and mid-sized farmers throughout the state and region, and then brings a real element of progressive politics, uh, sustainability, uh, as well as um, economic well-being into the picture. So the focus areas of the Land Stewardship Project are soil health, beginning farmer training, farm business transition, policy, and community food systems. So we're going to talk about those four things. And um, so in the policy work, the Minnesota State, the legislature, the 2023 legislation, um, was a very good year for, for farm policy here in Minnesota. Um, and I know I don't want to quiz you too much because it's your first <laughs> month, but um, but I know on last week's show we had Representative Brad uh, Tabke um, on, and uh, so people can also listen to that. But we had like an uh, expansion of lawns to legumes, hoop houses, a whole bunch of um, uh, ways of reclaiming our food system and, and having the food system localized. So tell me about what what is the heart of of the land stewardship project and how it has been um, how it's affected in the uh, in, in, in in the state legislature activity yeah absolutely so one of the things that I love about coming back to land stewardship project is that we really center the voices and the interests of the people that we work with of our constituents so I'm thinking about our the farmers the member leaders within the organization and the way that they help us shape what our policy goals and objectives are year by year both for the long term and also for the immediate term so our personal our, our organizational priorities going to that and every legislative session are shaped by 
the farmers that we work with and the immediate needs that they have, having to do with program development, uh, economic resources, uh, in terms of some of the policy pieces that impact farmers both economically and um, uh, with sustainability and in their day-to-day lives. So let's talk about soil health because I've heard some people, um, there's not really a good definition. We're hearing more and more about the phrase regenerative agriculture. What does regenerative agriculture mean? And it doesn't have a clear definition, but it does have a big touch point, And that touch point is soil health. So what does that mean, soil health? Well, and I would also start by talking about the origin of the concept of regenerative as opposed to sustainability. And I think it's a recognition that simply sustaining the status quo isn't good enough today because we have felt that we have been dealing with generations now of soil degradation, of uh, industrial approach to agriculture that is reducing our capacity to grow crops year by year without depending on a lot of inputs. And regenerative is that concept that we can actually start bringing back some of the qualities of the soil that have been lost over the past few generations. So it's a different outlook and frame of mind around what it is that we're seeking to accomplish. Rather than just keeping it where it's at and not letting it degrade, we actually want to help things get better and better. And healthy people need healthy soil. Yeah, absolutely. And our soil health program accomplishes a lot of different goals. Again, very farmer-centric and farmers who are thinking and recognizing the impacts that the generations of past practices have had on our soil that are exploring and uh, creating and uh, investigating new ideas and new ways to do things. And our goal is to support those farmers in their work. And on the policy side, to be coming up with policies that can support them economically in developing those regenerative practices. I think most of our listeners know this, but on your website, there's a song even six foot deep. Before um, uh, before the 1400s, 1500s, the soil here was six feet deep. It was such deep, rich soil. And now after um, hundreds of years of plowing and chemicalizing and doing what we're doing to the soil, we have not only a, a climate crisis, but we also have a um, soil crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think when we're thinking about what regenerative practices look like, we're also looking towards the indigenous practices from the past and trying to build partnerships, learning and bringing a recognition much knowledge has been lost in the farming community. Uh, because of the practices that we have had in place over the last few generations. So we're looking all over the place to figure out what are those sorts of things that we can do differently going forward. And so the Minnesota State Legislature this last year, and these were some of the policies that Land Stewardship Project were um, advocating, but just to give a sense now, the uh, Minnesota Department of Agriculture um, is has, has allocated over $44 million for soil health cost share and grant programs, um, over $50 million to soil and water conservation districts, and over for $4 million per year for the development of the commercialization of continuous living cover crop, which is a wonderful thing if we can, as if we can spread um, perennial crops. So talk a little bit more about soil health and other projects that land stewardship has and this, this vision of a food system that feeds people healthy food while actually supporting the soil and being healthier. Yeah, well, when I think about all those different programs, and it's wonderful progress, and they're wonderful things to get on the board, I think it's also important to recognize that the size and scale and scope of subsidies that are going to 
traditional industrial agriculture are much larger and much more significant. So it's a great starting point in the work we want to accomplish, but there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of turning the very big ship of agricultural policy and practice into a more sustainable and regenerative direction. Well, let's just talk about that a little bit in the farm bill. So, I mean, we know that if kids ate more fruits and vegetables, we'd all have we'd have less health care costs. And yet you go to the store and the fruits and vegetables are, are expensive and the corn syrup is being subsidized. So there are a lot of structural problems with our food system right now. Yeah, and you know, you're touching on a point that really drove my interest in coming to work at Land Stewardship Project again, which has to do with the institutional economic structures that are very big that are driving us in a in a direction where the the kind of I would put air quotes around food that are being marketed and driven towards people in this country uh, don't really look like non-air quotes food. I think our members and our member leaders are really focused on what uh, food with integrity means, um, how the people who are producing it, how that's being um, processed, how it's being presented to people and how we can build economic structures that allow that to happen in a way that makes the work of those small and mid-sized farmers who are focused on a regenerative uh, food with integrity approach, how their, their efforts can be lifted up and that they can be put on a pathway to economic sustainability as they are trying to build a pathway to regeneration on the land. Right. And I know I've talked to several um, farmers who are using regenerative pa- practices but they can only sell their products through the conventional system. Right. Well, those systems are huge. And we talk about uh, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about how our systems in this country are uh, tilted towards certain outcomes, whether that has to do with um, uh, race, uh, economic status of the people involved, uh, and the farming, uh, the farming uh, uh, area as well. And how are we investigating and bringing a critical eye to those systems and structures so that instead of just continually feeding down a single direction of who we're supporting, how we're lifting up certain different practices and people, and instead tilting those over to favor those uh, processes that can sustain and support us long into the future as opposed to the quarterly profit sheet. Yeah, how do we gain control over the system and help it become kinder and um, wiser and and sus- sustainable and regenerative? Yeah, and thinking about the needs and the interests of the folks who are trying to do things right as opposed to the needs and the interests of the biggest and the most well-capitalized. Exactly. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're talking uh, with Scott Elkins, the new uh, executive director of the Land Stewardship Project. Um, and on uh, this Thursday coming up on, uh, the 7th, on the 27th, on Thursday, July 27th, is the best potluck in the Twin Cities. Um, uh, the uh, Land Stewardship Project is, is holding uh, their annual potluck and we're going to have more information about that. Um, you can reser- uh, make a reservation for that by going to the landstewardshipproject.com. Or is it .org? .org. .org, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We'll Thank be you. right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio.
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone looking forward to the best potluck and cookout in the Twin Cities, which is on Thursday, July 27th. And with us to talk about Land Stewardship Project and the potluck is Scott Elkins, the new executive director. So, Scott, tell us about this event on Thursday coming up. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to be able to just a month after I take over as executive director at Land Stewardship, being able to take part in what is their sort of signature annual event. Late summer, big potluck, big cookout. Uh, There'll be brats and burgers, and we're encouraging folks who turn up to bring a dish to share of whatever they like on the side. And, uh, you know, it is an opportunity to bring together both uh, our farming constituency, our urban and suburban constituency, along with our staff and our board, uh, to celebrate the success of the past year, uh, to have fellowship, to get to know one another, to uh, build that common sense of community that's so important in grassroots work, uh, and also to be visible in the community and connect with folks who are just curious and interested in learning about the work that we do. So uh, what the, the potluck includes uh, burgers from Farm on Wheels, uh, brats from Hidden Stream Farm, and uh, vegetarian protein from Tempa Tantrum. So you have the you, – you provide the protein, and then everyone brings um, their own meals to share or their own dishes to share. Traditional potluck. It's Minnesota. We know what a potluck means, but – Yeah, exactly. And we'll have a pie raffle and we'll have a few speakers, not too many, speaking for very short periods of time. The real emphasis on people socializing, getting to know one another and sharing some great food. And um, people are encouraged to bring their own plates and utensils so you reduce waste and also um, your own lawn chair if you want a set or a blanket. Yep, exactly. Our office has got a nice sort of open space next to it where we hold the uh, where we hold the potluck, and uh, we encourage people to come and bring be comfortable, bring their blankets, bring their chairs, and enjoy themselves. And it's located at eight twenty one East thirty fifth Street in Minneapolis. That's correct. Okay, and uh, uh, Senator um, Aaron Murphy will be speaking. Yeah, we're very excited to be welcoming Senator Murphy. It's going to be a great event. Great. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Uh, I just encourage people to go register at landstewardshipproject.org. Sign up for the event. Uh, Bring what you can, but the big thing is just come on down. We'd love to see you. And whether or not you can register, if you want to come at the last minute, we're not going to turn anybody away. We're not going to turn away for last minute. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully the weather could be nice, not too hot, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so let's um, talk a little bit more about, I know you're in your first month of the Land Stewardship Project, but one of the big things that the Land Stewardship Project strives to do is change the regional food system. Right. So what does that mean? Well, it means about building pathways from farm to table, um, and that can go in a lot of different directions, right? It can come. It can be about direct marketing from farmers to uh, to consumers through CSAs. It can be about farmers markets. Uh, it can be about projects and uh, support to move food directly from small and mid-sized farmers to school systems and other institutional consumers. Um, There's a lot of different ways to set this up, and I think creativity is the key. Uh, Food production and distribution is a pretty marginal business, particularly when you're really focusing on raising that food and developing that food with integrity. So the closer we can bring the farmers to the consumers, the more powerful systems that we've got and the more economically just they are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so there were some good things that passed in the Minnesota legislature this uh, last season, or last year, uh, 2023. Um, the meat processing um, liaison. So do, do you want to talk a little bit about meat processing? Yeah. Well, what we learned from our farmer members are that uh, a number of folks who are working at that smaller scale with meat processing systems, those small-scale uh, meat processors uh, are aging out. Uh, there are fewer of them around. The economics can be challenging for them as well. So it was really important for us to be able to set up some sort of feeder system so that folks who want to get into this line of work and can develop in it have routes to learn and develop their skills so that they can serve the market that we're trying to build on the farmer side and the consumer side. And there's a phrase, of course, no farms, no food. And we have a problem with aging farmers right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and our Farm Beginnings program is really focused on providing the opportunity for younger folks and folks from all different backgrounds who want to engage in the farming lifestyle and the farming uh, endeavor to build the skills and the capacity and the focus so that they can actually succeed in that area as well. Um, yeah, it's a really big issue because I think oftentimes uh, uh, aging population of small and mid-sized farmers can too easily feed into the consolidation of farming and just get bigger and bigger scale. Personally, I believe we value and we develop as a society when we've got more people who are out there working on the land, connecting with the land, and thinking about that system of farmer to consumer. Yeah, I do too. And um, and I think there's a reason for that. It's, you know, it's almost like keep the food system human, I think that's a really good way of looking at it, you know, and I'm learning all the time, but it it feels pretty clear to me that we have a farming system and then we have an industrial food production system. LSP stands with the farmers in cultivating and developing that farming system, and we want to do everything we can to learn from those folks about what's working and what's not working and to continue to innovate to make that part of our critical food economy successful. And then helping emerging farmers um, is also a key. Um, helping people learn to how to be farmers is is, is one of the key um, things that the Land Stewardship Project does. Yeah, getting them off the ground, helping them to get off the ground, and then uh, helping them in their early years of their progress in the farming uh, community. So I have witnessed and seen a whole lot of that peer-to-peer learning that goes on. And LSP seeks to be a source not of us at an office in, in, in a town or in a city communicating what's right, but actually building those networks and those communications from farmers to farmers so that folks are learning from people who are succeeding and doing. So one thing that the Minnesota State Legislature did in uh, 2023 is increase uh, funding and um, important policy changes to the Farmland Down Payment Assistance Program um, and um, uh, policy changing changes to the beginning farmer's tax credit. I know you're in your first month, so <laughs> <laughs> but you, can you briefly talk about this? I mean, how do we um, – uh, and, and I'm going to jump a little bit because um, there's a great free movie out there called The Farmer Labor Education, and it was about the uh, farmers and how the farmer and labor uh, people came together in like 1910s and 1930s. But there was a quote that really stuck with me. And she's like, this person was talking again about 100 years ago. And she's like, what common sense is this? If a farmer cannot even help their children get their own farmland, what kind of, that's, that doesn't make any sense. And right now, people who have a desire to farm 
it's really, really hard to get into that farming. And so it doesn't make sense. And I'm glad, again, it's, you know, there's small efforts, but there are some efforts and that, you know, to really try to, um, and, and I know people are doing some cool things on land trust, and we'll be talking about that. I've got some shows coming up on that topic. But talk briefly about land access, and especially with uh, small emerging BIPOC farmers. Well, I think if you look at the way in which you know real estate, whether that's you know a house in the city or a big plot of land in the country, that the way that the values of that land have been increasing out of sight. For a lot of uh, your urban and suburban listeners who are particularly younger folks or folks who, you know, have parented and see their young adults and see how out of sight it is to afford a home as a young person getting by in this economy, that same system is in place in rural economy but magnified. And for – Small and mid-sized farming is a challenging place to get by economically on its own face. But then you add in on top of that inflated land values driven in part by, you know, wealthy individuals who view it as an opportunity for speculation as much as anything else. Uh, then it really becomes uh, difficult to think about how to put pieces together for new and emerging farmers. And like you said, particularly for those folks who have been disadvantaged by the systematic in, uh, economic inequalities that have kept wealth out of family systems in black and brown communities uh, all over the country, it just amplifies that problem. So we're really excited and happy about the steps that the state has taken up to this point. It's, uh, it's good early beginnings. We've got a long way to go to really make it so that uh, small and mid-sized farmers, particularly people coming into the market, have the opportunity to get a fair shake. So we're talking with Scott Elkins. He's the executive director of the Land Stewardship Project. And uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and looking forward to uh, the Land Stewardship Project Potluck and Cookout on Thursday, July 27th, beginning at 5.30. And uh, people can register for that, or you can also show up. But we prefer to register so they can help count. And uh, what's the website again? LandStewardshipProject.org. A little bit long, but people get it in their hot bar, and then they just <laughs> click on it anytime. And we're talking in studio with Scott Elkins. He's the executive director of the Land Stewardship Project. Let's talk about the environmental issues around farming and the food system. So, and I know you, um, you're you new to Land Stewardship Project, but you are a longtime uh, environmental activist, and you were working with the Sierra Club for um, decades. Yep. yep. So tell us what your thoughts are when you think of food system and environment. Well, I think a lot has been done to cultivate that concept of organic agriculture. Uh, now, regenerative agriculture is getting a better grip on the public consciousness. Um, I think a lot of the focus has been around both the quality of the food, 
uh, for the consumer end, thinking a lot about uh, trace uh, contaminants and those sorts of things and how to manage that. I think on the statewide level, we've thought a lot about water quality, particularly in Minnesota. It's a very important topic for us as a whole. And there are some important steps that are being taken in terms of continuous land cover, you know, planting crops and having green stuff on the soil even when the fall and winter comes. That's able to regenerate and start growing very quickly as soon as things start melting out. Uh, you know, soil wants to have stuff growing on it. That's part of maintaining that soil structure and, and biotic integrity of, uh, of farmland. And we're learning our lessons around that. And I think there's a lot of organizations and a number of policies and practices that are gaining better traction around water quality. And I think an elephant in the room is climate change and thinking about how and what role agriculture is going to have in uh, helping to us to address the, the changing climate that we've got in place. Um, when I think about climate change work up to this point, there's been a lot of attention on you know, big point source pollution or transportation, how we produce electricity, uh, how we move ourselves around, the energy involved in that, things like home insulation and low energy uh, light bulbs and those sorts of things. Agriculture is a huge sector of interest around climate change as well. And unless we get a real handle on emissions that are connected to the agricultural system, uh, we're not going to be able to solve our, our climate issues. Some of that is practices on the land. And some of that is also driven, again, by the industrial agriculture uh, processes and the ener energy intensivity around uh, the different inputs that are created and hydrous ammonia and other things that – require a whole lot of uh, energy use, energy production uh, in their development and in their um, – the way in which they're distributed on the land. And that just is on top of, of course, the way in which a lot of those inputs are reducing our soil quality and making long-term sustainable agriculture more difficult. Uh, yeah, a lot to unpack there. And I, I like this phrase, biotic integrity. So talk more about biotic integrity. Yeah, it goes back to the soil health issue that we were talking about a little bit earlier and how are we developing soil systems that uh, maintain um, not, just, uh, not just the soil as something we can put our hands on, but all the little structures, the fungal networks, the, um, uh, the, the biotic elements of the soil – Maintaining the integrity of that, which is integral to our capacity to grow things, whether that be trees or uh, plants or food. So there's a book out called What Your Food Ate, and it was written by uh, David Montgomery and his wife Anne Bloquet, and I did a show with them um, maybe about a year and a half ago. But, nice. but, um, but so basically um, the evidence is overwhelming that to eat healthy, to be healthy humans, we need healthy soil. Yeah. It, that's, and so when you use that phrase biotic integrity, it means really understanding what's going on below the ground. And our conventional food system has really been based on a limited or outdated understanding of how reality works. Yeah, and you know, my own thinking about it is the way in which we literally treat food like a commodity, you know, and a commodity is a interchangeable common thing that can be moved from one part of the planet to the other without thinking about where it came from or what its origin is or the, the purposes and practices around its production. And if we think about food instead as the thing that is integral to our survival, 
both as individuals and on a planetary basis. And we start thinking and encouraging folks to understand a little bit more about that connection between what's on their fork and where that came from, then we can move away from a commodity basis of agriculture and move a little bit more towards those uh, uh, farmer-people connections. And so um, Robert, Robin Wall-Kimmer was the keynote director for a uh, keynote speaker for the 40th um, um, year anniversary yeah. celebration that you did last, um, last or the, uh, a while ago. Maybe January, yeah, earlier but this year. earlier yeah. this year. But uh, so some of our quotes are: "As we work to heal the earth, the earth heals us." So I think what you're saying is it's not about we've kind of commodified each other, we've commodified our food systems, and this is making us um, freaked out for one, but also less happy and less vibrant, and it doesn't ensure the survivability of our children and our grandchildren. And so moving into a more sacred relationship with the earth and understanding the, our personal health and well-being and creating a food system that reflects that complexity. Yes. And uh, I love Robin Walkimer's writings. Uh, and folks who haven't checked out her book, Braving Sweetgrass, I encourage you to um, it, she just has a really wonderful, A, voice in her writing and B, a tremendous level of wisdom in terms of thinking not only about existing systems but indigenous systems of agriculture and, uh, and nature care and bridging some of the gaps that exist in our current society. Uh, one of the things that really I struggle with and I expect a lot of other folks do as well is we're, you know – up to our eyeballs in a system that encourages us to think of our separation from our natural roots and our natural heritage and instead think of us uh, in terms of some of those shortcuts and heuristics in our brain that, you know, focus on dopamine hits around, you know, the latest acquisition, material acquisition we can have or the latest tweet and how many likes we got on it and those sorts of things. And... It would be great to think about ways that we can turn some of that um, capacity of our brains and our minds to what I think of as a more integral connection within our communities and within our food systems and within our systems of the environment. Externalizing ourselves and each other is a big bummer. <laughs> and, and how do we get back into a living community? And one of the stories that Robin Wall, Robin Wall Kimmer tells in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, is when she went to get her PhD, and I think it was in botany. And she said, I want to know why these two plants look so beautiful together. And the guy said back to her, that's not science. You should go be in an art program. Well, it turns out that it is science because those two plants together are more likely to attract the right pollinators and to bring in the insect relatives they need. So so this understanding and appreciation for the complexity and for the interconnectedness and having having a respect for um, for the natural world and for each other. Absolutely. And I think uh, science is certainly getting beyond that sort of rigid, dogmatic approach of thinking that a powerful theory is the same as settled fact. You know, we're learning that across all sorts of systems, evolutionary systems, uh, systems of how we've thought and built an economic system around sort of cutthroat competition when what we're learning, again, within the science is that there's a whole lot more cooperation going on in our natural systems. It isn't all red and tooth and nail as we might have thought at one point. 
No, um, there's a, a group called prosocial.world, if people want to follow up on this, and I think his name is D- uh, David Salone Wilson. But um, but he does document that you know, h- humans, we work collaboratively, and that's that, that, that working, you know, we almost have this story out there that it's it's a cutthroat world, and, and to get ahead, you got to, you know, beat the other guy before you. We have that, that narrative out there, whereas that narrative is not really based on facts at all. And and trying to go into the narrative is we all do better when we all do better. And it really is that simple. We all do better when we all do better. And we includes bees and the insects and includes all sorts of complexity. Yeah, that sort of cutthroat approach was based on a very imperfect understanding of natural systems. And then we sort of like internalized that, incorporated it into economic systems, and sort of turned our back on the idea that our own understanding of the natural systems is evolving all the time. And it's moved well beyond that sort of uh, you know, survival of the fittest approach that I think uh, folks embraced at a certain point of time. But I think if you talk to most scientists nowadays working in those areas, understand that it's uh, – not only imperfect, but uh, a damaging understanding to bring to natural systems and to human systems. So I'm going to read a quote from uh, – I picked up from your website. We kind of talk about theories of systems change. Um, this is from Marge. But I commend land stewardship over and over again for being that voice and helping most of us get over being a bunch of scaredy cats and thinking it's not going to matter. Oh, yeah. You know, there isn't any other option, I think, of living in this world but living in it with hope and living in it with the heart and work to reach out to others, to build a sense of common connection, even in a time when that seems really difficult in places, and to find those common values. We are a cooperative species. We live within cooperative natural systems. And if we're willing to do the work and take the time to build common understanding, it's amazing what we can do. And sticking our head in the sands and feeling like there's nothing that we can do as individuals, um, it's an understandable response to the new systems and the the messages that some of we're, we're, we're hearing today. Um, but it's not a successful response. And it's also a response that makes us feel disempowered. When what we need not right now more than ever is to folks to feel empowered to get their voice out and to create the change in the world to make it a better place. And I'm going to pitch that movie again. It's a free documentary on the farmer um, farmer labor education site because what was happening in Minnesota um, in 1930s, um, farmers were losing their losing their land, and then the community kind of rose up. Rose up. They were not scaredy cats. They did not think that their actions were not going to make any difference. They thought they could make a difference. So they all showed up when the when the banks were going to go claim that farm. They showed up and they said, "Okay, I'll give you a penny for that cow." And they all stood together, and with that solidarity, they actually created change. And and we have uh, Floyd B. Olson. For those who don't know, Highway Fifty Five was named after him. But but so this this you know, it's not just an empty hope. It is. Yep. Yeah. The progressive policy history in Minnesota. Let's just say there's no. Um, it's not random that land stewardship project started in Minnesota. You know that the history of. Thinking in progressive politics across different constituencies, what do we have in common? How are we going to work together to improve the lot of people across the state? 
Uh, it's a beautiful thing about this state and it's something I think is very much in the bones of Land Stewardship Project as well. I'm particularly proud of the work that Land Stewardship Project is doing in terms of really thinking about its own history and how to learn from and expand our vision and scope to incorporate the ideas, visions, and hopes of BIPOC farmers, BIPOC constituents who want to be getting into farming and are thinking about food health in their systems, and understanding and trying to build a better process for how we carry those interests and concerns along with our BIPOC partners into legislative systems and into administrative systems so that we're not just focusing on the sustainability aspect from uh, the issue of soil health or diversity or organics, but we're thinking about sustainability for all Minnesotans in building a healthy food system that serves each of us. Yep, a healthy food system that serves each of us. So uh, we're talking with Scott Elkins. He's the new executive director of the Land Stewardship Project. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Hi, this is Laura Hedlund, and you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. I'm a student in permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone looking forward to the best potluck and cookout in the Twin Cities, which is Thursday, July 27th at uh, 5.30, and it's with the Law and Stewardship Project. And in studio with me is Scott Elkins. You're the new executive director on your first month here at the Land Stewardship Project. So again, tell us about the potluck and how people find it and make reservations and... You bet. So I encourage people to go to landstewardshipproject.org, and on our homepage, you can sign up for the potluck, and uh, you could share a little bit about what sort of side you want to bring. We'll provide the protein, both vegetarian and also uh, burgers and brats, and uh, other folks will bring the food. Uh, we'll have a pie raffle. Uh, we'll have a few speakers. Um, and we'll have what hopefully will be a beautiful day with a lot of folks out on our yard. Yeah, and uh, people are encouraged to bring their own utensils, um, a lawn chair or blanket, and uh, Senator Aaron Murphy will be there. Yes, we're really looking forward to hearing from Senator and, Murphy. And you've done this for 20 years. Yep. So it's always a fun time to, to, to get going and chit-chat. And I should be there myself, so it would be a great time to say hi. Um, and um, so one of the other things is we need a fair um, farm economy. And I remember someone saying it to this way. Can the can a parent pay for the kid's soccer lessons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time right now in one-on-one conversations with staff, with our board members. That includes farmers uh, and increasingly reaching out to some of our farmer members and farmer leaders as well. And if there's one thing I hear really consistently, it is that um, – Farming in ways that respect the integrity of the food and the land and of the people who are consuming their food uh, is a challenging economic endeavor. Um, our economic systems from the farm bill um, on down to the big corporate uh, food giants are really geared towards um, disconnecting people from their food, from their food sources. Uh, so, you know, I like Cheetos. Cheetos are a great, great thing to eat. They're very tasty. They hit certain, you know, receptors in my brain and in my mouth that taste yummy. Um, but there's not a really clear connection between that and food. 
And uh, when you get a good bite of that, you know, uh, fresh ripe tomato that maybe you planted in the pot of the backyard or something, you can be reminded of what it means to really be connected to real food with integrity. And what we want to do is expand that beyond just what you're able to grow in your garden or what, you know, few folks will go down to the farmer's market and think about how we can build systems so that those sorts of foods are uh, nourishing people around the, the country and around the world and also supporting the farmers who are producing it. And uh, one of the places where my heart breaks is the kids who can't afford fruits and vegetables. I mean, and and, and they love them. I mean, kids naturally love blueberries and um, raspberries. And, and yet, you know, the uh, someone, uh, uh, with, especially right now with the dollars being so thing, I mean, ramen noodles are cheap. So, so I'm, I'm pleased that there's this work going on in the in the farm to school effort yep. and also now that we have universal meals. Um, but to really create a fair farm economy, going to take a lot of work. It is going to take a lot of work. And we are only at the beginning of it, I think, at this point. I'm really proud and grateful for the steps that the state took this year to – you know, invest meaningfully in small and mid-sized agricultural producers. Um, and uh, and I think that there's a whole lot longer way to go. Um, the institutional structures that support industrial agriculture over farmers um, are massive and significant. Uh, we're working every year and every few years on the federal farm bill and on state legislation to try to tilt those uh, – the subsidies and the support and the policy of our country and of our state more to favor the small and medium-sized farmers. But I just really want to encourage our listeners out there uh, to think a little bit about the food that's coming – where it's coming from, to sign up on our web dates from us, and to think about how they're communicating both with their friends and their neighbors and their decision makers about policies that support farmers that produce healthy food uh, rather than um, simply uh, – pushing the farm bill off to the side. And we're very grateful to have like Seward Co-op and a strong co-op. So this year with the with the drought um, and making it challenging to be a small farmer. Parts of Minnesota and other parts of the country. And then I don't think anybody will be blind to the headlines we're seeing about world record heat uh, changing oil and, and uh, ocean temperatures um, and seeing, I think, what we can only characterize as significant tipping points in our global climate. Um, that makes a big difference. I'm very proud and excited to work with some of the small, mid-sized farmers we are who are exploring uh, indigenous systems of knowledge and being creative and thoughtful about how we're building systems that can be resilient in the face of climate change that we will encounter and at the same time building systems and practices that can mitigate the impact of uh, uh, climate change going forward. And again, Robin Walls Kimmer's keynote speech was named The Kind of Hope That Makes You Want to Roll Up Your Sleeves. As we work to heal the earth, the earth heals us. And living that hope and experiencing it, which is why it's really fun to go to a potluck and cookout on Thursday, July 27th. So uh, let's talk again about the last 30 seconds. Go out on how people find out about this event. You know, we do this work to protect ourselves and protect the world in community with one another. And for a long time, we were sort of forced to pull back from those broader networks. And we're encouraging people to come down to the potluck, reconnect face-to-face. Get to know some new people, enjoy some great food, and join our work for a better agricultural future. A better agriculture food system. We all do better when we all do better. Uh, Land Stewardship Project, thank you so much, Scott Elkins. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you, Laura.